welcome to a novel evening. I'm Danny, also known over on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books. And for this episode, I am joined by the author of a historical fiction novel that I absolutely loved. Um, anything with the even the slightest sniff of Jack the Ripper, and I am there. And People of Abandoned Character had exactly that. Um, it was a fantastic read. I'm so excited for her newest novel, The Gone and the Forgotten. Um, I cannot wait to chat with Claire Whitfield all about her books, her inspirations. Um, she's, you know, set these in two very different time periods as well. So I can't wait to delve into how that worked to go from, you know, Victorian England through to the 90s. Um, you know, so I'm extremely excited to chat with her um, and delve into her novel evening. A massive hello to you, Claire. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Great oh, to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. This is uh, incredibly exciting for me um, because I read People of Abandoned Character what feels like quite a long time ago now um, because I feel like in Bookstagram, time moves a bit faster because you read so many books. I feel like I read it ages ago, but it probably oh, wasn't. Wow. Yeah, I feel like it was a long time that I read it, but actually it's really stuck in my mind. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I have so many questions for that's you great. about it. Firstly, I loved it. I Thank thought it you. was such a fun <laughs> read. Uh, but also kind of a bit of a gothic read. It was a bit darker than, you know, your average sort of historical fiction with a bit of mystery in there. First and foremost, Jack the Ripper. I of mean, <laughs> it's such a huge story that's been told and retold in so many different forms. And yet your novel made it feel very fresh. Thank you which is good <laughs> that's great news to hear yeah I'm pleased because obviously taking on a subject as like the behemoth of Jack the Ripper in itself is quite daunting so yeah it's really good to hear that uh, it felt fresh and perhaps you know not a, a well trotted out trope because I think that was one of my biggest fears of you know taking on that kind of monolith like behemoth of a subject yeah, for sure, because I think, you know, it's, as I said, it's one of those stories that we've, we've kind of read, and obviously nobody knows the answers to Jack the Ripper either, but that does also make it pretty rich with opportunity, right? Because you can kind of take artistic license with the whodunit. But where did this idea come from for you? Okay, so um, I'll try to do the short version. Um, so basically, I have always grown up, you know, like a lot of little gothy, emo -y girls, you know, you hit puberty, get into true crime, become a bit of an obsessive about serial killers. So we all know that sort of journey. Yep. That was me. Um, at points, my nickname as a child was uh, many nicknames, but one of them was Wednesday Adams because I had the long, dark hair and yep. and never smiled. So, you know, that that's kind of what I was. Um, so years, years later, when I'm doing a, a creative writing workshop, working full-time and just doing an adult evening class just for you know just fun um it was a creative writing exercise and the um tutor brought in actual real life newspaper stories from the time talking about the murder and then so we were given a, a creative writing brief try and write about it but um you can't do a policeman or from the point of view of a victim write about someone else on the periphery so I thought I did what was the, the next really obvious thing, his possible wife. Mm. But then when we read it out in the class, everyone was like, 
oh wow that's a great idea I never really like lots of people have done seamstresses because of like the sweatshops or um, yeah. landlords or neighbors or something like that but I done it from the perspective of someone who thought they accidentally might have married this person and and it's just chimed with a lot of people and then flash forward over years it sort of ended up being this sort of fallback whenever I did something like creative writing workshops I wanted to pursue it but whenever I got stuck for an idea I went back to this one because yeah. of how the reaction I'd had and every time it had a really strong reaction so I have to say you have to blame everyone else because for that little true true crime goth girl if I was going to write about a serial killer, it certainly wouldn't be Jack the Ripper because, oh, that's a garden variety type of, you know, it's your starter serial killer. So many more, not to sound really grotesque and sensationalist. but I am still an emo goth girl who's into oh, true crime. Good. So you're not alone here. I know exactly what you're like, Jack the Ripper, that's like your starting point. Yeah. Yeah, 101 <laughs> serial killer lessons. So I never would have taken that on, but it was actually... A tutor on when I was doing my master's degree and I fell back on this idea again he said and it was brutal brutal feedback but 100% true he was like look I really think you've got something with this idea because you are and I put this in the book because it struck me so much I don't know if you remember it you are no one you are nobody no one knows you so to get out of the slush pile when you try and submit if you do want to write a book you need that hook and this is going to be a Marmite. People are going to go, oh, I never want to hear of Jack the Ripper again. Or, oh, I love Jack the Ripper. And that's how the idea came up. And it just kept coming up. And I just thought, do you know what? I'm just going to have to exercise this demon and get this book out. Yeah. Purely to write a book. And that was my first book. And I then sort of used it to try and go through the publishing, try and get an agent. And it worked. And he was absolutely right by the way I did when I was submitting to agents and publishers it really was a marmite you'd get you know really harsh feedback which you get used to um well never really get used to it, but you accept you know where they're like nope Jack the Ripper what a cliche old trope you know and then yeah. other people are like oh, I must see the full manuscript so it really has a strong reaction which is what you need unfortunately to sort of stand out a little bit from just yeah. pile so that's where it came from. I love that. I love that this, it was just an idea that really stuck and just grew from this, you know, writing project at a writing group into yes. you know, this finished book. I think that's that's incredible. And like you say, I think it's such a divisive thing, isn't it? You know, you've got any like Jack the Ripper, you've got your big, you know, your Ted Bundy's and you, you ever read a book involving a serial killer that's even like fictionally based on those. Some people, yeah. oh my God, we've read like 3000 books about serial killers. But personally, I will keep reading them. So, yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's always some there. Like, more, more serial killers. I mean, but also you had the other edge of it, that it is about a woman who falls in love and is quite vulnerable with someone that she realises she doesn't really know. Yeah. And I, and I really, I love research, um, which a lot of people love who, who get into writing, especially, obviously, especially historical fiction. Mm. You better love it. Um, and just the opportunity to be able to go outside of the sphere of, say, like learning about history within school or in a classroom, but really to pursue those rabbit holes that you personally find interesting was one that really appealed to me because 
the Victorian England and London I discovered was certainly new to me. And, and just to learn about the reality of being an ordinary woman at that time and imagining that rather than, you know, I, I don't get me wrong, I love all the royal dramas and I love the crown and all those things, but it does get a bit exhausting after a while because you know, I'd really like to know how my relatives or my ancestors might have lived. And, or if I was teleported back, you know, how would I survive? What were the laws? What could I do? Where could I go if, you know, you fall on hard times? Because the fact is you can work your way out of it. She couldn't get a job. And even if you could get a job, you, as a married woman, she couldn't really have one, but she would never earn enough. So, I think, yeah, I think there are all those parallels to today as we see like the inequality between, you know, the rich and poor almost come back cyclically to such proportions. So that really excited me. And I really wanted to put that in the story and be able to sort of make us feel, or hoped to make us feel a bit closer to the people in that yeah. time. Yeah, because I think it's easy to think it's so distant and so far away from us. And actually, it's really not. You know? Really not. And one of the things I really, really enjoyed doing was reading newspapers or um, articles that were written by first person from people at the time. Yeah. And really, once you get past the language and silly little things such as, you know, what they call a, a parasol or, or silly little yeah. words we really are exactly the same people we still love we're scared we're frightened we have bad days we have good days you know we get depressed you know literally as you say it really isn't too far away for me it's the fact you can see photographs of the victims and that's when I almost realized they had cameras you know that's yeah. when I'm like oh this isn't some you know it's not that long ago because they were taking photographs of these crime scenes you know so yeah. for me, I was like, oh and when you read your book, I feel for me, it, for the first time, I was like, oh, this isn't, you know, that long ago that these kinds of things were happening to women and within exactly. marriages. It's, you know, and, and sadly are still happening for women now who are trapped in, in marriages. It's it's a very intense book and I didn't expect it to be. <laughs> Thank you. I, I like intense. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a, as a win because, you know, oh, I love absolutely, it. Absolutely. I think I was like, oh, Jack the Ripper and it would be a bit of a mystery. And I was like, well, actually, it's quite it's quite moving it's quite an intense story so absolutely a compliment 100% and then you've gone from Victorian England and you've jumped a few years with your newest book The Gone and The Forgotten because you're in the 90s yes so apart from giving I think my agent and my published kittens about that um I really um wanted to so there were certain things I knew about myself as a writer already, even though having only one book, um, I knew that the sensory experience is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whereas if you like in Whitechapel, you know, the, the, the feeling of actually being there, the, the degradation of the property, the, the poverty, you know, it's quite a sensory experience. And, and that to me is, you know, I, I can't help but pick up on that. Um, so Shetland as well is in a very intense sensory experience, if you like. It's so alien. So I, I picked a location because, I, you know, that Whitechapel thing, that strong environment has such an impact on your sort of mental state that I wanted a strong setting again. Um, 
the reason I picked 93 is because it was the main character was 16 and I was 16 in 93 so I actually thought you know it's such a it's such a a precious age between childhood and adulthood and also it was just before mobile phones really took off yeah I mean they existed but only like you know someone with a Motorola flip top and one of those like massive like the Del Boy phones you see yeah. me like pulling out pulling out his big antenna to walk yeah yeah <laughs> or carrying some kind of weird case in the car like that yeah that was the only phone at the time and I thought you know that's a, an exciting time and I and I, because it is such a a personal book about feelings it's quite an emotional and about an experience and sort of sense of reality I thought I'd best pick a time I can relate to at that time so I can sort of honor that sort of mental mm. state a bit better and also capture what I saw with my peers so yeah completely different um kind of similar in a sense is that yeah there's always going to be a strong protagonist I did say to myself when I started writing I would always write women because I got so bored of reading about you know uncomplicated yeah. women yeah I, it was one of those vows I'm going to write about complex women but I don't know if I always will maybe but yes another female very complicated young girl who's had a very shadowy confusing upbringing um but it really it was a story about secrets and lies in a family yeah which I think everyone can relate to because I don't know about you but I certainly know with my friends and everyone you've got these sort of subjects that are off like banned in people's families yeah yeah and things you kind of just don't talk about a hundred percent or and it's kind of like it becomes almost part of the culture and you're like isn't this weird to it like especially when you I don't know if you get married or you go out with someone and you see someone else's family suddenly you can see the the, the bizarre rules they play you know about oh we don't talk about that but it it's it becomes a bit like emperor's new clothes and I really really wanted to explore especially with like the political landscape about truth and lies at the time and still ongoing how important is the truth really to your Mm. sense of reality because I think it can be quite confusing because like I halfway through writing the book believe it or not this is true I swear I found out my grandfather wasn't my grandfather. Whoa. Yeah. And it was it was a bit of a lie down moment because we didn't mean to find out. It was just an accident. So, oh. yeah, I was trying to do my genealogy thing. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I've heard of, yeah, when you input your DNA and stuff and then suddenly it's like... Hang on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. It is a minefield, isn't it? Doing things yeah. like that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so we found out that my grandfather, my grandfather, who I thought was my grandfather, wasn't. He adopted my dad, and his real father was a Canadian soldier over in. Wow. And so I'm in contact with my Canadian relatives now, which was mind blowing. But it was a really weird thing to write about a young girl who's, con- who knows this stuff she doesn't know about mm-hmm. her past. She doesn't know who her father is. And then to get so far into a story and realise that kind of relates to you as well. It was bizarre. But but hopefully it helped me understand her mindset a little more. That's wild. I mean, I was I was three when the book is set. 
So I was a 90s baby, but very early on in the 90s. But it was a strange time because, like I say, I think we were on the cusp of something with, like you say, mobile phones and the internet. It was an exciting time. Yeah. All that stuff was just in its infancy and was like, I think we got the cool time of the internet, if I'm honest with you. And it was just, you know, MSN Messenger and you could, like, you know, play Mind Sweep, whatever it was called. And I feel like it was, you know, between the 80s, which was, I think, a very kind of, from what I've been been described to because obviously I wasn't around but there was kind of a real focus on like earning money and making the money and you know whereas the 90s was such a tech time and everything was coming out and and like you say then you've got somewhere like Shetland that's kind of removed from kind of all of that hubbub and yet it's surrounded by all of the you know like you said the political the technology that was being made I think it's a really fascinating time period and again Everyone says like, oh, you know, the 90s. I think, oh, that was like yesterday. It's not though, is it? It's scary. (laughs) Really scary. The TikTok is like, this song came out 20 years ago. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, it's awful. I hate those things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I remember my nephew was born in 91. And I think he's, yeah, he's just turned 30, I think. So that was just really upsetting to because to hear do you know what I mean he should still be in nappies as far as I'm concerned yeah and... I feel that about my younger brother my younger brother's like 27 and I still think he's like seven you know and I'm like how are you yeah. almost 30 but I think like you say and also that's an age for a, a, a young woman when you're in that kind of you're you're not a child anymore but you're also not a woman you're somewhere in between and you're kind of half trusted by adults in your life with some information but not with others and it's a strange sort of time, I feel like, for family dynamics when you're, you know. Oh, it's, it's bizarre. It's the most bizarre time to be, especially, I can't speak for now, but back then, especially, there was such a sort of emerging sexualization of females in the media. You know, it's not new. Women have always been sexualized. That's, you know, we get that. But it was like, as you say, the the, the onslaught of, it was like, all of a sudden, you know, it, I grew up under the shadow of the nine o'clock watershed where there were certain mm-hmm. things that couldn't be on TV and suddenly everyone wanted to be sexy. And, and you know, yeah. you see young girls adopting that, but not really understanding why they want to be like that. I mean, I think it, it was the Britney Spears phenomenon, wasn't it? You know, MTV showing Hit Me Baby one more time in a in a schoolgirl outfit. Yeah. You can so, probably yeah, get away exactly with that, that. now. Yeah, like, it's like, so on one level, you're telling us that sexualization of young girls is wrong, yeah. yet on TV, that's okay. So it's, it's all these contradictions, which yeah. as a sort of pubescent teenager with all those crazy hormones and then the families with their strange little rules and secrets and yeah. the gaps in your, it's a confusing era. Like, it's a confusing period to get through for everyone, I think. And yeah. I just really wanted to explore that. I think that's so fascinating. And you do tackle some hard themes in the book. You know, do you feel a kind of sense of responsibility when you're writing things like that? Are you kind of very aware when you're writing? Yes, traumas? 100%. I, it, I, those are the bits that are always really difficult. I, I don't know why. Maybe I will come to some sudden realisation at some point, but I kind of feel duty bound to write about hard things. Oh. I don't know why I feel compelled. I feel like it's a responsibility not to shy away from the truth, you know, like the reality of things. So wait, like when I was writing about certain things in the gone and the forgotten, yeah, I thought I don't want to 
I've got to do this really carefully. I've got to do this really sensitively, but I do want it to be honest. I don't want other people like my peers and everything mm-hmm. to recognize elements of behavior and say, oh my God, I remember, you know, or things like that. Yeah. And the same with uh, people of abandoned character. When I wrote about what actually happened to the victims, I didn't want to gloss over that because that's the truth. Yes. You know, and I, I feel as adults, and do you know what you, you can't, you bring me up to something. I read an article in The Guardian the other day about a Guardian, rather, um, Alan Moore. Right. And he was talking about how, and I'm going to paraphrase this terribly, but he was talking about how disappointed, if you like, he felt the superhero sort of franchise had gone because it was for children. Yeah. And, and now he felt like it was like this almost infantilization of adults. And he, mm. felt he was not happy with that. And I get that because as adults, I feel like we have a duty to lean into the truth and, and be responsible. That's interesting. So as a writer, I don't want to shy away from the hard things. I think my third book, I'm definitely going to give myself a break from heavy topics. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> Ish. <laughs> ish, ish, yeah, I think that's fair enough. Ish. Oh goodness! I mean, obviously, there's a little hint there. So I'm guessing you're working on yes. book three. Are you yes. going to a different time period? Are we allowed to of know? Course. Of course. I'm going to give everyone around me a breakdown by leaping into another time period. So at the moment, it's it's specifically oh. between 1920 and 1925. <gasps> oh, in England? Yes, in London. Well, oh. yeah, in the south of England, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting time, actually. I didn't know much about it, and now I've got really into it. It's really interesting. Well, that's a time I only really know about in America, if I'm honest with you. Kind of the twenties, and you know, Paris, and you know, New York, Lampagas, Hollywood. And... Yeah, yeah. I kind of know that, but what was happening in the south of England? Well, I could bore your pants off at this one at the moment, so I won't. But it's really interesting time in terms of, and funnily enough, really current as well. And I think I just pick up on those things. So let me just break it down for you. It was a time after the war. Yes. Obviously, First World War ended 1918, um, but ugh, there's a lot of repercussions. Spanish flu, the epidemic had ripped mm-hmm. through 2018, was still having bouts of that. You had rampant inflation. You had huge inequality. You had a uh, recession, quite a lot of unemployment, really difficult economic times. Um, the, because of the war, the exports of the country had really taken a nosedive. Yeah. So that they had reinstated the pound at higher value. I, I don't know the inflationary, I'm not an ec- economist, but basically it, it made inflation go through the roof. So there was a lot of um, talk about stagnating wages um, and quite a lot of companies wanted people to take lower wages so that they could protect profits and keep the costs right. down strikes started to happen it's not as glamorous as what was happening in paris and new york and yeah yeah some of that was happening too but yeah i think history has has a a, a point as a habit doesn't it of always going towards the glitter and yeah. the people who are having a great time whereas i want to look at the ordinary person and yeah. movies were taking off silver screen the talkies were becoming so again it was a really exciting period for media and movies and glamour but to the little girl or the average boy how did they get a piece of that 
with all this inflation and poverty and Spanish flu and is this something just about the twenties? Is that the problem we have in in England? Like you know, we've had nineteen twenties, now we've got twenty twenties, and we've had you know our own version of the Spanish flu. And (laughs) well, this is it. I was looking at it. I was like, oh my goodness, it's like so many things to sort of pick up on that we could resonate and you know understand how people lived at the time. So very interesting. Well, I now have zero clue what time period or place we're going to be going for your novel evening because I feel like it could be pretty much any time anywhere um or any clue who you're going to invite um usually by now I've got maybe a couple of guesses in mind but I have nothing so um <laughs> I like to keep it you know, uh, yeah definitely so I guess we should start with where are you going to go for your evening okay this is really hard so it doesn't have to be a real place does it it can go anywhere at any point you can have it there's so many places it's really hard so I'll just pick at how I feel right at this minute yes good plan um so after the king abdicated you know Edward and Mrs Simpson after the king abdicated he was given sort of kind of glory job being the governor of the Bahamas I think yes (laughs) and there was quite a lot of stuff going on there you know debauchery hedonism because quite a lot of um people who were wealthy enough to escape the war went there just to sit it out apparently Mm. quite like to be a fly on a wall on that yeah you would get some goss wouldn't you from that situation also again history repeating itself with you know you know a member of the aristocracy marrying a American divorcee and hitting all the papers and heading off to the uh the the quiet lands yeah Yeah. (laughs) but okay okay so you're gonna hit up one of the uh, Bahamas parties there and see what on earth was actually going on I bet that would have been really interesting and obviously by day I could relax in luxurious tropical surroundings so perfect Perfect. I mean what more I would just love to actually have seen the dynamics between Wallace and Edward I know it's hard to imagine isn't it it is hard to imagine but um yeah I'd like to sort of experience that as a fly on the wall I think or a servant maybe in the background that's an interesting choice. I don't want, I would want to be drinking the, you know, the cocktails sat at the, the bar True, with yeah. the fans above my head, you know. Yes, with quiet. a sort of long sort of <laughs> cigarette in a filter, perhaps. Yeah, just, just, you know, when you're just sweaty enough to be a bit dewy. Yeah. <laughs> Glowing. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm I would sweating. like. My, you know, finger curls. Okay. This is a good choice. It's an interesting choice. So who's the first person who's going to join you? Oh, there's so many. Um, so they are a bit random. So there's no rules about who it could be. Right. Okay. So I've got a few. Um, so my first is I became aware. I like to look up historical women that I've never heard of that are like naughty, bad people or criminals. And I came across a lady called Stephanie St. Clair, who was a huge gangster lady in Harlem in mainly the 50s, I want to say. Anyway, she was huge. She ran a huge empire. She was a black lady. Wow. And she, the best part about her is she was very independently wealthy through obviously criminal means. But she used to take out adverts in the newspapers, educating um, other black people about their rights. 
and wow. she, was, she really did have big kahunas put it that way yeah. but she yeah she did very well throughout her entire life but she's so rarely known about she's so I've like, never heard of her yeah exactly um the other criminal lady I'd like to invite there's a couple actually I'm going to mispronounce her name so badly they the most successful pirate of all time was a Chinese lady called Ching Shi, I think. So at her peak, she owned about or was master of about 70,000 vessels. Wow. She led a band of pirates. So oh, 70,000 men, I think, can't remember how many vessels and women in who were pirates. So she economically is hands down the most successful pirate of all time. Yet why have I never heard of her? And why yeah. do I know about like Bluebeard or Blackbeard, whatever his name is? Yeah. Or, other pirates so I thought she would be and she had a code she had a like a a set of rules she made everyone um mm-hmm. sign up to otherwise they were executed so you know she was pretty I love a female pirate um have one tattooed on me I love a female pirate so well, look her up I absolutely shall I think you're setting the cat amongst the pigeons already with your first two guests with Wallace and I know I, I'm not sure they would have got on so well <laughs> Is. I think yes, it was obviously a, a time rampant with racism. However, I think Wallace was a woman who was probably, you know, had her fair share of, you know, being misaligned. So I think actually she would be quite have some interesting conversations. Yeah, and I think these three ladies so far could definitely each hold their own. I don't think we need to worry about any of them. No. <laughs> being if anything, delicate. maybe the opposite should be a concern. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It would have been a great party. Oh my goodness, can you imagine when like gin starts flowing and champagne? Yeah. Oh my word. Okay. So you've got your two ladies have arrived, and I will be absolutely Wikipediaing both of them this evening to fall down a rabbit hole. Who's next? Okay. So there's a few. Um, I really would like Billy Connolly, just because I think he's brilliant and yeah you can't help you grew up with him on the tv and you kind of like me and my husband have this thing where occasionally we'd say like who's your celebrity dad or who's your celebrity mum and you can change but he would definitely be one of my celebrity dads as in like oh my god for me he will forever be billy bones in muppet treasure island (laughs) i think that's the first time i was ever aware of him and i thought he was amazing but he's also so clever Yes, so fast, plays the banjo, what could be better? Oh, he'd be chatting up uh, Stephanie St. Clair, I feel like. He would... Possibly. I think he'd be a really good foil to them if they were all getting a bit fritchy. Yeah. He could add a bit of humour and sort of temper the um, fieriness down. You know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else would there be? Oh, God, there's a few. Um, So Billy Connolly, maybe Kurt Vonnegut. Because I thought he was a great writer. Okay. So I'd like to speak to him. Uh, there's a lady who is in my third book I'd like to invite. But she was a gangster as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she, so um, she's called Alice Diamond, who was the leader of the 40 Elephants, which was the biggest female crime syndicate in London during the 20s. So she'd be formidable to talk to. Oh gosh, um, I feel like I mean, Claire and Stephanie are just going to be swapping tips. Yes, yeah, and they would—they were both great strategists, actually, very clever, very good organizers. I mean, that—that that is certainly without trying to, you know, blanket. I feel like women as organizers, we know our shit. 
we know who's doing what and when, which I feel is sometimes what men, not all men, but a few men would be lacking, particularly in that period of time. And it makes yes. me wonder how the mafia and things were that organised. There must have been women behind the scenes planning. Well, there are. There are. That's what I've really got annoyed about discovering. So I was like, right, OK, you know, you hear all these sort of silly sort of simplifications about women. And, and one of the things I really feel is like if we're to be equal, not just men and women about whoever, whatever your sexuality is, don't care. If we're equal, we need to be equal in our complexity and yes. we need to all be allowed to make mistakes. So that's one of the things that I've noticed recently, especially with the people we've got in politics. It's like some people are allowed to be more human than others. <laughs> yes. And, and that is real last bastion, I think, of inequality because women and people who are not maybe posh white men tend to get typecast and simplified down to this sort of two-dimensional monster. Yeah. They're inhuman quickly. So that is my last thing. So I like to research these things and find these women, but they just don't get talked about. Like um, there's millions of women that are involved in the mafia and like the drug cartels in South America. Oh there's my goodness. Also, if you, you know, if you're going to be, you know, shaken down in a shop to pay for protection, you know, yes, you'll be intimidated by a man, but quite often if you've got a woman coming in, there is, you know, like you say, there's going to be this element of, politeness you know for the time period that you know and if you wanted a good cover as well yes you wanted, and you know, especially betting yes. shops and things they were always women running them yes they attract less attention yeah. um also they tend to be well alice when she was running her things the one of the things that is supposedly known about her is that she kept men out because she wanted to keep all the money and she felt like that men tended to dominate and strong arm and then try and take over yes don't, don't have time for that and also she was quite sober as well so she was a very good organizer very strategic very cool head knew what she wanted and she took a more subtle approach to some things which perhaps I think from what I've read about her perhaps she felt that the male gangs were a bit more hot-headed and quick to yeah. violence. It wasn't yeah. that she was shy of violence at all, but she would try and be more strategic about it and employ it when she needed it. It's so interesting. And like you say, you don't hear about it. Like, see, she was like, how do I not? How have I never heard of this? It's so interesting. But then, as history sort of dictates, sometimes clever doesn't make as many papers as violent or shocking or... Yes. Yeah, and if there's... I'm starting to sort of form the thought that if a narrative doesn't fit this sort mm. of very easy to digest view of what females or women should be, it's kind of forgotten because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It just Interesting. Well, not in this room of men and women. I have to say, I think it's, it, yeah, it's definitely going to be, you've got a lot of women who are going to hold their own here. I know I need more men, don't I? I need some more men. Freddie Mercury, definitely. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Obsessed. I obsessed. My dad was a massive, massive Queen fan. It just played constantly. Just an icon. And he is not afraid of strong women or... 100%. Yeah, he would have been fine in that. He would have loved that entourage, I think. I feel like he'd have been getting up to naughtiness with Edward and Wallace, if I'm honest with you. I don't think he'd be at all ashamed or worried about no, that. I, I, well, you know, I, I, and this is what I think about the time in the Bahamas and that distance away from mm -hmm. all the sort of club. What, they what were they up to? I dread to think. 
I oh, probably would have been the first in bed. Yeah, <laughs> lit- on I mean, my own. Freddie <laughs> loved a debauched party. He was notorious yeah. for them. So he would not let the party get dull. I feel like he and Billy would get on really well. Really well. And Billy could play the banjo. Freddie could be singing and performing. Oh, the ladies could be swapping tips and getting into rows. You know, it, I think it sounds like a good time. It does. It sounds very dramatic. Yeah, well, I do love a bit of intense drama, so... You do. It's not a night for the faint of heart. No. <laughs> I actually think Wallace and Edward would be the two most sort of, like, reserved. But then maybe yeah. if we turn around, maybe with a few drinks. There no, were no. rumours, weren't there? There were stories of things they got up to, so who knows? Okay, yeah. is that all of your guests at the Bahamas? I think, do you know what? I'm starting to think it's it's quite a dramatic... <laughs> and I think it might turn into a riot yes I agree I agree now is there anybody that you don't want to turn up at your party I would say I shouldn't say things like this but (laughs) trying to think of people I really wouldn't want to turn up I just think at the moment any of our current politicians just don't want any of them there (laughs) and we say politicians fairly loosely at this point we do yeah we do say to any of these characters (laughs) that keep swinging through the revolving door so yeah yeah, I'm a stat I don't understand how you can not hold a general election when they just keep changing who's in charge it's bizarre isn't it it's almost like McDonald's and the every other week the head office of McDonald's would be like, I think we need to step in now and make some yeah. changes because something's something's wrong here. Yeah, and it's just like I try not to spend too much time getting involved in it because it's just stressful. And but it's like today, it's like they've reintroduced the ban on fracking. It's like, but hang on a minute, you were all saying it was fine a few weeks ago. So it feels to me like hot potato. Like yeah, they, yeah. they the job, but then as soon as it just gets too much, they're like, you have it. I don't want yeah, it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Quick, take yeah, this out absolutely. of my hands because I, I fucked up. I can't do this. Take it away from me. It's literally just how it chairs. Feels. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to be education secretary? <laughs> mm, yeah, all right. I haven't got anything else to do this week. You know, we yeah. have Brexit. David Cameron was like, oh, no, this went horribly wrong. Theresa, you can have it. Yeah, off you go. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. You get the pension for life. It's fine. Don't worry about it or whatever. I would love to be able to do a job for like, what was it, 43 days or whatever it was, and then just be set for life. That's, that's when you're not... A bit of me. Yeah, that's when you're not got a second job where you do like, I don't know, eight hours a month and you earn like £200,000 a year. I mean, yeah. I will I will take the role. I will take abuse for 43 days, do absolutely nothing but mess the country up and take the... Just I, cause I carnage. Yeah, I was built for this role. <laughs> I could do that. I could do this. I will, I'd need a private secretary because yeah. I, I don't know what they do. <laughs> yeah. I could do it all myself. One woman carnage show. Yeah, literally. It can't get any worse, surely. Cross your fingers when when you say that. You you never know. (laughs) I know. Touch wood, touch wood. But that is very fair. Not to mention, we don't, you know, we've already got Wallace and Edward, you know, a bit silver spoon in the mouth. We don't need any more of that. No, we don't. We don't. So I just say that whole cabal could just stay wherever they are very very fair when this comes out something else is going to have happened i'm gonna to have to put a footnote saying please yeah. 
the prime this time, we have had three prime ministers. <laughs> this is no longer relevant. Yeah. Um, that is incredibly fair. And actually, I'm, I think your evening is very, very interesting. Yeah, I think there should be some good conversations there. They might be a bit random, but I like that. I, I like to be able to, you know, have some yeah. fun topics. If you don't get unusual people and different people in a room, you don't get the conversation. No, exactly. I really love that. I love the randomness of people yeah. when they're themselves, when they uh, when they can be authentic. I love that, you know. And I think these all seem like people who are very true, with the exception maybe of Wallace, but uh, they seem like they can be true to themselves entirely. So perhaps they'll bring that out of them, you know, maybe yeah. they will encourage that. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. That's been a history lesson that I'm going to have to Google more of. Absolutely. And before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your evening, are you reading anything at the moment? Do you know what? I'm, I'm knee deep in research. So I am reading, but it's it's nonfiction stuff about um, female criminals, mainly, mainly female thieves. Ooh, so, okay. yeah, obviously I'm reading about The 40 Elephants. It's a fantastic book by, I want to say, Brian McDonald, who's written about Alice Diamond and The 40 Elephants. There is another book about uh, uh, Shirley Pitts, who was a famous member of the 40 Elephants much later in the 60s, I believe. Going to be going through that. Um, there are other books. What else am I reading? Yeah, there's a, there's, that's it. The Story of Shirley Pitts, Queen of Thieves by Lorraine Gammon. And then actually, I, I do have so much catching up to do on fiction reading because in between working and writing and then researching, don't get a lot of time to read fiction. So I, I have on pain of death, when I have a holiday, I am going to read The Second Sight of Zachary Cloudsley by um, my friend Sean Lusk. And that is going to be the top of the pile because I've heard it's a fabulous book. And I did an author event at Waterstones Durham with him and we had just such blast. I've been meaning to read it ever since. So I've got to read that first. But that seems very fair. Look, I cannot I cannot judge my to be read pile is spiraling into literally. Oh, about it's awful. So mine has collapsed. I swear you could see it from space. It's awful. It's it was a pile and then it just sort of collapsed. My husband said, he's like, what, what are we up to now? It's like 400. He's like, what was I, 40? And he's like, I'm pretty sure there was an extra zero. I'm like, no, no, it's not a problem. It's fine. I've got it under so control. Stressful. So stressful. <laughs> they just stare at me angrily from across the room. I need to get like a curtain or something so I can just hide them. So you're not alone. But uh, whenever oh, you awful. have your holiday, you'll get to enjoy it. But your nonfiction reading sounds pretty fascinating. So I will absolutely be checking some of those out. Yes, female criminals. There'll be more than you realise. I believe that. <laughs> I can believe it. I'm I trying, think, I think I'm better trying to see in court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to write about every single one now, but you know, so hopefully I'll keep going for a while. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a real interesting niche that gets to explore. So yeah, amazing. Enjoy. Well, thank you very much. It's always fun to meet another true crime enthusiast and get to chat all about, you know, female criminals for a change. Uh, and this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much. No, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Right. Bear with me, because for some reason I now have to go through a different thing.